end of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Good morning, Riverview. Hey, it's good to be here with all of you. Uh, My name is Tony. I am one of the pastors here, and I am not usually at the Holt venue, because as one of your pastors, I serve also as the Westside venue director. Uh, So I'm usually at our Westside venue, but I'm happy uh, to be here with all of you this morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday uh, with your family and your friends. But this is our final week in the book of Romans. Can we clap for that? (laughs) <laughs> Not that it's been bad or anything, but we're, we're, we made it, you know? I mean, like, I, I was, I'm kind of a numbers nerd, so I was looking back uh, at when we started this series. It was 60 weeks ago. I know. The collective sigh, right? We started this on October 4th of 2020. Uh, but since then, uh, we've preached 54 sermons over 33 weeks throughout four venues in three different seasons of the year. So it has been a fun journey. All those uh, messages can be found on our app and on our website. And the reason we have more sermons than we do weeks we were in the series is because some weeks uh, we preached multiple sermons on the same Romans text. So I'm not sure if all of you can remember, but we started this season, or we started this series amidst the season where church was only happening online. And as we kicked off this series, Noel had said he anticipated that as we were starting this series online, that we would be ending it in person. And by God's grace, we have done that. Many of us are here in person today, uh, getting to worship together. And for most of this calendar year, that's been true. Uh, We've been able to gather for worship and in life groups, and that has been just an incredible blessing for us. But also in that first week of the series, uh, we were encouraged as a church family to, to do a few things throughout this entire From Faith to Faith series. The first thing we were encouraged to do was to see and believe that the book of Romans is the word of God. We were encouraged to, as we studied and discussed and meditated on this text, to remember that it is in God's word to us. These are his very words for us today. The second thing we were encouraged to do was to really engage our minds and to engage our hearts. And this is because the book of Romans, it's a challenging book of the Bible, but it's not challenging really in that it's confusing or that it's hard for us to understand. It's, it, the book of Romans has been challenging, as we've seen, because of its impact, because of its depth, because of the clarity it gives us as to who God is, but also who we are. The book of Romans is kind of like a Thanksgiving meal, uh, in a way. There's just a lot to digest <laughs> in this book. And sometimes, after we ate it, we needed to take a nap, because uh, there is just so much there. Uh, But over the last year, the book of Romans, I think, has really shaped us. I think it's shaped us as a church, and I also think that it shaped us as individuals. But the last thing we were encouraged to do in this series was not to work through the series alone. We were encouraged uh, to read and to study the scripture in community with other people. Now, I hope that this has been your experience uh, in this series with us, that you have spent time in the word of God that you've thought about it deeply, that, that you believe it more, and that it has happened for you in community. Uh, but today, 
this series is coming to a close. And we're going to close this series uh, by going through all of chapter 16 today. And this chapter is actually pretty unique because it's kind of like the PS of this letter uh, that Paul has written to the church in Rome. It's kind of the postscript. It's the one more thing that Paul's including as he wraps it up. And it's a pretty big PS. I mean, there's so much in Romans 16. First, we see the names of 35 different people. I mean, kudos to all the scripture readers (laughs) at our venues this weekend because... This chapter was tough, but uh, we actually see some other things in this chapter as well. We see Paul give a warning. Uh, We see him give an encouragement, but then we see him pray for these people. And we're going to do our best to get through all of it this morning. And we're going to start really with the list of people. In the first 16 verses, we see a list of, of individuals, of men and women that were really important to Paul. These were people that he was on mission with. These were people that were followers of Jesus with him. And as I was working through this message, I needed to see it differently. So I made a chart uh, of all these people and the, the things we see here. So if you're a chart person, you're going to love this. Uh, you know, thumbs up. But if you're not, Go refill your coffee (laughs) because we're going to be in this chart for most of the morning. But we're going to start in verse 1 of Romans chapter 16. Here's what it says. It says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me Also, So the first person we meet here in this list is a woman named Phoebe. And Phoebe was the woman who was delivering this letter uh, from Paul to these house churches in Rome. And in this little passage here, we learn some things about her. First, he calls her a sister. Now that most likely means that she was a follower of Jesus. Uh, Paul referred to brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, We're a faith family here in the church. So that's who Phoebe was. She was a follower of Jesus. But the second thing we see was that she was a servant of the church in Sincrea. Now, Sincrea was a port city really close to the city of Corinth, which really cements this um, historical evidence that, that we have that Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church from the city of Corinth. And the word there for servant in the original Greek is the word diakonos, which is the word that we translate into English as deacon. So if you grew up in the church, that word deacon, it may be familiar to you as a role that men or women served in. Now, when we see that word diakonos in in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, it either can be an office in the church, or it can be kind of this general, just being a servant of somebody. Now, we don't know which one it is here in Romans 16, verse 1. We don't have enough, but I do think, my, my view, I actually think that Phoebe was a deacon in this church because of the specificity that Paul includes about where she's coming from and, and really what she did. Deacons were men and women in the church who served other people. That was their primary role. They tended to the practical needs of the local church family. They would serve those in need. They would correspond with people in the church. They, uh, would, just, they would take care of the sick and the poor. And we see that word diakonos or diokonia in Acts chapter 6. This was a period where the church was just growing like crazy. And the apostles had set apart um, some men to be deacons then. And it was to really serve people who were not getting enough food in the distribution. So we kind of see it there in Acts chapter 6. And throughout the New Testament there and in other places, we actually see what you should look for when raising up deacons. And you would think that the Bible would say, hey, find people that, that really know what they're doing. 
that have a high skill set, that are high bandwidth, all these things. But that's actually not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about people of good character. Whenever you see leaders being raised up in the church, you actually see that it's character over competence. We see this throughout the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us the character quality of deacons, of these men and these women. It says that they should be respectful. It says that they should be genuine. It says that they should be self-controlled and, and faithful and generous. These are the qualities that would mark these servants. So that's who Phoebe is here. That is who she is. She's a servant of a different local church who had been entrusted with this task of delivering this letter to the Roman house churches. Paul tells them to welcome her in a manner worthy of the saints. That's, that's holding Phoebe in very high regard. She was a great servant of the church and also says to help her with whatever she needs. Okay, let's keep going. We got a lot more people. Verse three says this, give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their Home. Now we know of Priscilla and Aquila from other texts. So Prisca and Priscilla, same person, different kind of translation of her name. Uh, but they're mentioned four times in the Bible. And they have the same vocation as Paul outside of ministry. They were tent makers. That was how they made their living. They were originally from Corinth, but they actually traveled to Ephesus to help plant the church there. And we see them specifically in Acts chapter 18, where they actually serve the church in a pretty cool way. There's a, there was a guy in the church in Corinth uh, named Apollos. Now, Apollos, the text tells us he was a very competent teacher. He was very eloquent, so much so that people in Corinth, there was all these divisions happening of some people were like, hey, Apollos is my guy and Paul's my guy. Like, that's how good of a teacher he was. But, but Priscilla and Aquila heard him teaching one day and they noticed that he wasn't preaching about Jesus accurately because he didn't have the whole story. He didn't know what Jesus had actually completed in his ministry. So at Acts 18, it's so cool. It tells us that Priscilla and Aquila, they pull Apollos aside and they explain the way of God to him more accurately. So kind of in this private conversation, we see Priscilla and Aquila serve the entire church by helping this teacher know his doctrine more to more accurately teach the church. It's so cool. But what we know about Priscilla and Aquila is they were co-workers with Paul. They were missionaries. And because Priscilla is mentioned first here in this list, it does suggest that she was a more prominent and influential leader than her husband Aquila was. But Paul mentions something really unique. He says that they risked their own necks for his life. Now, we don't know specifically what they did, but we do know Paul is incredibly grateful for them. And we also see a really cool reminder here of what Paul tells the people to do with them of just how church was happening in that time. It's, it's, it met in homes. It says to greet the church that meets there. These were small gatherings of men and women who worshiped together. Paul says to send them greetings. Verse five says, greet my dear friend Apinatus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Now I love that this guy is included. <laughs> the only thing we know about him was he was the first person to become a Christian through Paul's missionary work in Asia. Now, this is really cool because first converts, they are such an encouragement to anyone in ministry because it's evidence that God is beginning to work through the faithfulness of the men and women who had gone to that area to share the gospel there. A first convert, what it represents is it represents hope and it represents the possible future of reaching other people in that area. Because when God begins reaching a people group or a city or a village, those people become missionaries. 
oftentimes they become more effective missionaries than the missionaries who moved in because they were raised with those people and they were raised in that culture. So with Apinatos, that's who he is. He's the first convert of, of Paul really in Asia and he's included in this list. Paul says to greet him as well. Verse six, greet Mary who has worked very hard for you. That, word, that phrase, work very hard, it means to work until exhaustion. That's all we know. We just know that, that Mary was there and that she worked super hard for this church in Rome. Paul says to greet her. Second, next, next group, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles and they are also in Christ before me. Now, so this is most likely another married couple because they're listed together. But a few things we learn about them that Paul writes. First, that they were fellow Jews. So they were raised in a very similar cultural upbringing uh, that Paul was raised in, just with, with an understanding of the law and what that meant and how they lived their life. But the second thing we see was Paul says that they were fellow prisoners. Paul spent a lot of time in jail during his ministry. And through, through many letters that we read that he wrote to the New Testament churches, you'll often see that he was writing in chains. That meant that he was in prison. All we know about Andronicus and Junia here was they were fellow prisoners. They had been imprisoned for this work of ministry they were doing. They were ex-cons with Paul in a sense. But the last thing that we see about them is really cool. It says that they were noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. Something about their character and their commitment to the gospel of Jesus, it was noteworthy to those that that, that were the apostles, that, that those who had spent time with Jesus, that Jesus had given his direct marching orders Two, these, this was a faithful couple, faithful to the work of Jesus during their lives. It's so cool. Verse eight says this, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Not much is said about him uh, here other than his friendship with Paul, but historical context into what that name is kind of shows us that this was a really common slave name. Later on in this list, we're going to see other names that were most likely slaves as well. Names like Hermes and Philologus and, and Julia. And while the text doesn't give us that info, context shows us that these were most likely Roman slaves under Roman masters. Kind of crazy. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. So Urbanus, that name... Um, he, well, Urbanus was a co-worker. Stachys was a dear friend. So the name Urbanus, that word comes from the word urbane. That means to be of the city. So this is most likely uh, a city dweller. But then the name Stachys, check this out, that name stands for ear of corn. <laughs> so this is most likely someone from a rural community. So it's really neat what happens here. In one line, Paul is greeting a white-collar and blue-collar Roman person on mission together for the gospel in Rome. It's just so cool what we're seeing in this one list, 10 verses in. Let's keep going. It says this, greet Apelles, verse 10, who is approved in Christ and greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. So this is the second time that a household is mentioned. Uh, and Paul says to greet all the people in that household. This suggests another house church gathering maybe, but the name Aristobulus is really interesting because that name, Aristobulus, that, that's the name of the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great, he was a key character in the life of Jesus. Now, Herod, it's a pretty ironic name because he was an awful person. Um, Herod the Terrible doesn't really have a great ring to it as a, as a leader. Uh, but he was the ruler that ordered all the Jewish boys under the age of two to be killed when Jesus was born because he had heard 
that a king was born in Bethlehem. And he made this decision to try and get rid of that king. And he, he decreed this terrible and sinful act of having these boys killed. I mean, we, this is part of the Christmas story. This is in Matthew chapter two. We see it there. And we see God graciously intervene and Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they flee to Egypt during that time. But, but the name Aristobulus, that's the name of Herod's grandson. Again, we're not sure if this is the same guy. Some commentators do think that that it was. And Paul says not necessarily to greet him, but to greet those in his household. So that suggests that maybe Aristobulus wasn't a believer, but there was people in his house who were. Maybe members of his family. Uh, maybe he had slaves who would become Christians. And, and here, if this is that Aristobulus, we see the work of God going everywhere in Rome. Verse 11, we see this again, the same idea. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew, and then greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Again, a very similar greeting. Herodian was a fellow Jewish person, but Narcissus, church history um, suggests that he was a rich and powerful Roman citizen who was actually employed by Claudius. Claudius was the emperor right before Nero. So if this is him, Again, we're seeing the gospel is going everywhere. It's going into the household of Roman elite. Verse 12, greet Tryphena, Tryphena and Tryphosa who have worked hard in the Lord. Uh, these are two women. They're most likely twins given how similar their names are to each other. And their names, they mean dainty and delicate in the Greek. Kind of cool. But what we, all we know about them is that they worked very hard for the Lord. So Paul says to say hi to them. Verse 12 again. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. And then look at this, verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So this wasn't Paul's literal mom, but it was someone in his life that was very dear to him. Now, he speaks of a man named Rufus, who was a fellow believer. And some think that Rufus was the son of Simon of Cyrene. So Simon of Cyrene, he was the man who helped Jesus carry the cross in, in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, we see this in the gospel accounts. And we see that, that Simon was the father of Rufus. And then there's a footnote to this verse, Romans 16, 13. Since then, Simon had most likely passed away, but his son Rufus and his mother, which would have been Simon's wife, they were still alive. And they were still very meaningful to Paul. So much so that Paul even says, and mine, when talking about this woman. We see here how tightly knit Paul was relationally with a lot of these people. Verse 14, greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers and sisters who were with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who were with them. So again, he's sending greetings to most likely more house churches that were meeting uh, in Rome. But then verse 16, he ends the list by saying this, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. Okay, so in the first century, instead of hugs and high fives and, and fist bumps and all that, they gave one another a holy kiss. This is how they greeted one another. This is how they showed affection. So, so really, in our desire to, to follow the scripture and to do what it says, I just want all of you uh, to turn to the person next to you. I want you to puck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not going to holy kiss this morning. That's even crazier uh, to think about in the socially distanced world that we live in nowadays, like that happening in the church. But, but while the action may be different, uh, the meaning under the action is actually the same. What Paul is saying is, I want you to greet one another. I want you to be with one another. I want you to show thankfulness for all of these people who have worked so hard for you. 
to come to faith, for you to believe the gospel. Greet them. Okay, now I know what you may be thinking. Uh, Why did we spend over half of the sermon on a list of names that Tony just butchered pronouncing and a part of scripture that we normally would skip over in a Bible reading plan? Well, that's a great question. I'm happy to answer it for you. But the first reason is that it's in the Bible. (laughs) And we see in other parts of the Bible that all of this is profitable. All of this is, is needed. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So that's the first reason. We read it because it's in there. Second thing, though, we learn a lot about faith here. We learn a lot about the church in these 16 verses here in this chapter. There's three insights. There's more that we could glean, but I picked three. The first thing we see in this list, we see clearly what the church is and what the church isn't. This list of people reminds us that the church is people and that it's not buildings. When we see the word church in verse one of this chapter, talking about Phoebe and the church in Sancria, the word for church there in the Greek is the word ekklesia, which means assembly or it means gathering. Nowadays in 2021, that's not what comes into our head when we think of church, right? We think of church as, we may think of church as a place that we go. And I I understand why why we think this. You're most likely watching this sermon in a church building, a place you went. You pulled into a physical parking lot. You walked into our physical church building and you're taking part in our service. It's something you go to, right? But what's even more crazy nowadays is it's not only something we go to. Churches, sometimes we talk about it as something that we watch. (laughs) Some of you may be watching this sermon not on Sunday, sometime during the week in your office or at, in your living room, which is pretty amazing if you think about it, how technology has advanced and how it's really utilized uh, for ministry. But, but these 16 verses, they remind us of something core, very core about what the church is, the essential component, and it's people. The church is men and women and children who have been saved by Jesus Christ who gather together to worship him and to proclaim him to the world. And this church in in Rome in the first century, it was households. They were small gatherings of people who gathered together for worship, for teaching, for fellowship, and for mission. That was the church, these gatherings. And this list of people reminds us of that. The second insight we see here about the life of just a follower of Jesus is how important friendships are. In that list of people, Paul says things like, dear friend in the Lord. Fellow prisoners, co-workers in Christ. These were people that Paul loved dearly. Many of them were his friends. People that knew him well and people that he knew well. And not only do we see really that these friendships were present in the list, we actually see the foundation of what all these friendships were built on. It was their mutual faith in Jesus. I mean, if you go through that list again, look at how many times it says in the Lord or in Christ. It's mostly everybody that Paul talks about. This is one thing I think is so cool and actually pretty unique about the church. It's that friendships are are based on something deeper than just common interests or, or common life stage. You in the church, if you spend enough time there and you really invest, you will have friends with people that the world would not believe because they're nothing like you apart from your belief in Jesus and your belief in the gospel. They're rooted in our identity as Christ followers. You know, when I think about this idea of friendship, I'm reminded uh, of a quote from the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Ernest Saves Christmas. 
No, I'm just kidding. That's not the greatest movie of all time. It's an underrated Christmas gem. Uh, but the, no, the actual greatest Christmas movie is It's a Wonderful Life, hands down. And at the end of that movie, George Bailey, he's handed a book uh, from Clarence, and there's a quote in the front cover of that book. Do you remember what it says? It says, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. And I love that quote because it's just, it, it, it shares with us, it reminds us of how Friendship is just a beautiful aspect of our human existence. Being known and knowing others, both in and out of the church. And here in Romans 16, we actually see friendship just pour from this page. We see these deep relationships that Paul had with people within the church, people he was on mission together with. And we see how much we should pursue that as well. The last insight we glean about faith and honestly, in, in friendship in the, in the church really is this, is that the church is at the same time marked by two distinct things. It's marked by unity and diversity at the same time. Unity in its belief, but diversity in its composition. So look at this table again. Look at all of these people. All these people, they were united in their faith, but they were different in a lot of other ways. Something unique about this list is we see women and we see men together. Now, this is really unique in, in the first century in Rome, which was a very male-dominated society. The church was a place where both men and women were seen as equal. It's where they were able to see and contribute their gifts and abilities to reaching people for Christ. We see in this list, there's men and women that Paul commends for their faithfulness. It's so cool. The next thing we see is we see Jews and we see Gentiles. We see people who are raised Jewish, people who are like Paul, who are raised in that environment. And then you see Gentiles, people who are raised in the Roman culture and, and understood what it meant to reach Romans. Then you had slaves and you had free people, people who had come to faith, maybe under the authority of a Roman master. But then you had people who were independently wealthy and may have come to faith uh, in, in another way. But finally, in this list, you see poor and you see the rich. You had, a lot, you had people with a lot of means of pushing the gospel forward in, in certain areas of the city. And then you saw people with very little means who didn't have much materially. Really what they had was their faith. And you know what's so amazing about these, these, all these differences? They were together. They were the church. They were the family of God in this local place. All the ways in, that they were different, their gender, their ethnicity, their socioeconomic status, their, their age differences, that made them stronger as a church because those differences were an accurate picture of the culture and the place they were trying to reach. The church looked like what Rome looked like. Diversity in the church, it's a beautiful thing. Diversity of all kinds, gender, ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity, generational diversity, we see that this quality was a mark of this first century church in Rome. It was evidence that God was, was redeeming people to himself, reconciling people to himself vertically, but we also see the impact of that horizontally. They were having peace and unity with one another, people who are vastly different from themselves. Paul spends a considerable amount of time here, remembering the people that God has put in his life to be on mission with. And it shows us a lot about faith, a lot about the local church, that the church is made up of all kinds of people that are in relationship with one another 
because they are united in their faith in what Jesus has done. It's so, it's so cool. After this list of greetings, Paul has three final things he wants to say to this group. The first thing is he wants to give them a warning. This is in verse 17. He says this, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with, the, with smooth talk and flattering words. Okay, now think about this for a second. If you were the Apostle Paul and you had one last warning, one thing you wanted to have them watch out for, what would you have said? Remember to keep studying the word. Or remember to keep practicing generosity. Or remember to keep serving one another. Paul doesn't say any of those. You know what he says? Protect your unity. Protect your unity. Don't let anyone cause division among you. Fight to be unified. And Paul's instruction on what to do with those people who are invading the church and stirring up all this stuff is really clear. It's two words, avoid them. It's not correct them. It's not argue with them. It's not fight them. It is avoid them. Because Paul makes it really plain what their motive is. Those people aren't serving Jesus. They're serving themselves with their flattering talk and their, and their flattering words and smooth talk, all this stuff. So Paul says, hey, avoid those people. It's so funny to me. Sometimes we'll, you know, we'll hear people say like, gosh, the Bible is just so not relevant for today. And then we come across this verse. We need this verse in the church today. We need to watch out for divisive people. We need to avoid the temptation to argue and engage. We, we should avoid them. They don't serve Jesus. Fight to protect the unity that we have in this local body of believers that God has graciously given us. Protect our unity. That's what Paul's saying here in Romans 16 to this local church. That's the warning. But right after this, he gives them an encouragement. Paul tells this church that reports of their obedience have reached everybody. <laughs> that people in other places, other countries, they know about this church in Rome, that they've heard about them. And Paul says how grateful he is for the work that's happening there and the report uh, that he has gotten about their obedience. And in this encouragement, we also see another list of people that Paul is on mission with in Corinth and he sends greetings to them from this group. But the final thing that Paul does, he wraps up his letter with a prayer. And I'm gonna wrap up this sermon in a few minutes with that same prayer for us. But before we do that, I just want us to go back. I want us to go back to the beginning where we started 60 weeks ago. October 4th of 2020, in that first week, Romans chapter one, we heard some very foundational verses, really the anchor verses for this entire book. And they're verses that we've heard on our title package every week since we started this series again in September. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it says, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The whole letter of Romans is, is really built upon this idea, of this idea of, of the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news of our Christian faith. It's that Jesus lived, that he became a man, that he came to earth as, as one of us, that he experienced hardship. He experienced brokenness. He experienced family. He experienced friendships. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but was without sin. The gospel also tells us that Jesus died, that he was crucified for our sin and for our brokenness. He took onto himself the penalty that our sins owed. Jesus bore the wrath of God for sinful people like me and like you. The gospel also tells us that Jesus rose. He resurrected from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan and death. And finally, the gospel shows us that Jesus ascended, that he is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for those who have put their faith in him. One day in the future, Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back and he's going to renew what has been broken by sin. This is all good news. The gospel, as it says in this verse, it is the power of God for salvation. The objective reality of the gospel message of what Jesus did, it is powerful. It is God's power to save sinful and broken human beings like us, to reconcile us vertically to a holy and righteous God. And what we see in Romans 16, we see fruit of that reconciliation working out with people, with unity, with peace in our relationships. We accept this gospel by faith. We see that here too. The verse reminds us that it is the power of God to everyone who believes. Verse 17 tells us the righteous will live by faith. That righteousness that we have, it is not attained by good works or good words or good thoughts. No, it's attained by a good God on our behalf. It's the work of Christ that makes us righteous, nothing else. And as followers of Jesus, people who have put our faith in him, we enjoy the life and the freedom that he offers us. We cannot exhaust the riches and the goodness of Jesus. We, they're inexhaustible riches of the gospel. There's no end to it. The more we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and in his love for us, our identity in him, we find that nothing else comes close in its worth or in its value for us. Back when we started this series, we shared a quote from the reformer John Wesley about Paul's aim, his hope with his letter. It says, Paul labors to produce in those to whom he writes a deep sense of the excellency of the gospel and labors to engage them to act suitably to it. What does this look like for you in your life? How is the gospel changing you? Maybe for you today, it's, it's putting your faith in Jesus. It's becoming a Christian, letting the gospel change you for the first time, turning from your sin and turning to Jesus in faith believing in his life, death, and resurrection for you. Maybe for some of you who are already Christians here this morning, it's, it's being reminded that because of the gospel, your identity is secure. That right now, amidst whatever you're walking through, God is pleased with you because of Jesus. 
And regardless of what you walk through, this will always be true because you are eternally secure because of what Jesus has accomplished. I hope that this has happened for you. I hope that this has happened in your life as we've studied this book over the last year, that your trust and belief in the gospel has grown in its depth, that it's changed you, that it's changed your life, how you think, how you speak, and how you live as a follower of Jesus. You know, we see this in Paul's final prayer to this church in Rome, his one more thing. And I want his prayer for them to be our prayer for us today as well. So let's pray. Romans 16, verse 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen.